Digiday Podcast. I'm Kaylee Barber, media editor at Digiday. I'm Tim Peterson, senior media editor at Digiday. This week, we have a special episode where we will be previewing some of the sessions that will be happening at the Digiday Publishing Summit in Vail this March. And today, we are joined by our colleague, senior media reporter, Sarah Guaglioni. Welcome, Sarah. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so Sarah, your, this will be your second DPS. I don't want to count how many DPSs Kaylee and I have been to at this point, but obviously like pretty great time to get a bunch of publishing executives all in a room and in Vail of all places because so much going on with the businesses you both have been covering and writing about in the media briefing. And we got some pretty exciting sessions lined up. Like we're going to kick things off with Adam McLean from Dot Dash Meredith. And we're going to talk about just what the integration of Meredith's properties into Dot Dash has been. And so I'm excited for that because one, I love media infrastructure stuff. I just like nerding out on that. But I think it, that session will probably also be representative of just the like state of the back end for media companies, businesses, and especially a lot of these publishers that have been consolidating in recent years and continue to consolidate. And then on the Tuesday, Kaylee, you and I are going to do live podcast recording with Michelle Devine from BuzzFeed. And we're going to talk all things programmatic and obviously BuzzFeed. Um, it's, it's nice to talk to a publicly traded publisher because then we have uh, some more numbers that we can go off when talking about their business. And then, Sarah, I'm excited for a few of your sessions, but um, you're doing a session with um, Steve from Paramount talking about podcasting on Wednesday. And and pod, the podcast market feels like it's a real, in a really interesting spot right now, not to get like too meta talking about podcasting on a podcast and all of that. But um, yeah, uh, Kaylee, any sessions that you're particularly excited about? Yeah, so I think starting with that live podcast that we're going to be doing uh, with BuzzFeed, I think it's just, I mean, to your point, it's going to be really helpful having uh, those numbers to reference from their earnings, uh, which is happening this week. Um, if it hasn't already happened uh, with with the dates that this episode goes live. But um, I think I've been covering, you know, obviously advertising in the media industry for upwards of five years now. But the past kind of six months has been really interesting to follow because programmatic has been in such a kind of unique and precarious position for publishers. Um, you know, at the end of last year, there was a lot of programmatic deals that were um, happening because advertisers wanted to transact very quickly in the quarter. They weren't seeing um, the budgets come through in time to do some of those larger campaigns that um, I think are a little bit more typical for the time period. But there was a lot of kind of a uh, almost like a churn and burn mentality when it comes to advertising budgets in um, the quarter. At the same time, though, at the beginning of this year, you saw some of the lowest CPMs, um, especially in the open marketplace, um, since, you know, the onset of the pandemic. So despite there being a decent amount of transacting happening programmatically, those rates have just been incredibly low, um, you know, according to operative stacks benchmarking data, which is what I use to kind of keep a track on the uh, averages for the industry. But all this to say, I'm very excited to hear from um, BuzzFeed about how their programmatic advertising business is faring. Um, they kind of sit at a unique position being partially news, partially lifestyle, partially, you know, quiz, I guess, um, based. And it's it's going to be interesting. I I just wrote a story that will hopefully be going up around the time that 
of this podcast about the role of uh, verification data and brand safety and how that's been impacting programmatic businesses as well. So hopefully I can pick Michelle's brain a little bit on that, but um, that session is going to be interesting. And then um, I have a session with Sherry Phillips from Forbes uh, to talk about their direct sold advertising business. And I talked with, I spoke with her at the end of last year about uh, events specifically and how uh, their events business has been doing pretty well. And I think that's one area of um, the advertising space that despite, you know, budgets kind of being tighter in advertising, publishers are still seeing a decent amount of success with events businesses. So I'm really curious to hear from her about uh, the role of direct sold and if advertisers are getting a little bit more um, leeway with those larger budgets and uh, how those will be spent throughout this year. So I, yeah, I think there's a lot of questions I have about um, the state of advertising and how the end of the quarter um, is looking for these publishers. But those are, those are the uh, couple of sessions that are piquing my interest so far. Sarah, how about you? What are some of the sessions or topics that you're excited to get into at DPS? Yeah. Um, well, I'm excited to watch you guys do, um, that live recording of a podcast episode. Um, you know, I think more and more I'm seeing, uh, you know, live recordings of podcasts happening. And, um, you know, I think it's so interesting to see sort of like the behind the scenes of, um, how podcast episodes are created and, you know, kind of along those lines, um, I've been reporting more and more on the podcast industry, Right now, you know, there have been a lot of reports and studies over the past few months about whether or not the podcast bubble has burst. You know, it was sort of the darling of uh, the media industry for a while with, uh, you know, so much growth in listenership and new and more advertisers going into the space. But there's been a lot of contraction uh, in the podcast industry recently. You know, we've seen lots of layoffs at media companies. Uh, among their podcast arms, um, you know, listenership has um, sort of plateaued in terms of, you know, how the rate of growth um, in listenership. But in my own reporting, it sounds like a lot of heads of podcasts at publishers are still very bullish on the medium, despite those reports. Uh, so I'm really curious to hear from Paramount, you know, how they're sort of weighing uh, the investment going into podcasts right now, uh, especially at this time when so many media companies are, you know, being very careful about uh, their costs. You know, there's a lot of cost cutting that we're seeing. Um, you know, there's a lot, there's a big push on profitability. So I'm curious how Paramount is basically weighing their investment in the space. And then especially, uh, you know, if their podcast arm is a profitable business for them, and if it's not, how they're working to achieve that. And, um, you know, the other session uh, that I'm looking forward to doing is uh, with Josh Jaffe. He's president of media at Ingenio, which owns sites like astrology.com and horoscope.com to talk about AI. Uh, you know, with the arrival of chatbots like ChatGPT and, you know, integrations in uh, Microsoft's, you know, search engine Bing, it's been really interesting to talk to executives at publishing companies to hear what they think the impact will be um, on their businesses, but also in terms of content production. So I'm curious to hear from Josh, uh, you know, if, if their company is 
integrating AI technology uh, when it comes to publishing and to kind of find out how they're using the tech, if they are, and and what the company's thinking about or planning for when it comes to the potential impact of, of chatbots on their businesses, especially you know, if someone can use ChatGPT in lieu of a search engine, um, I think it's it's going to be interesting if someone can go into ChatGPT and search for, you know, their horoscope that month instead of going through a search engine to look that up and find, you know, astrology.com's website and a page about their horoscope, you know, what what impact that'll have on um, trying to get people to come onto their sites if if that kind of takes the role of, of some of that uh, search traffic. So yeah, it'll be interesting to to hear about that. I will say I have tried to use ChatGBT to uh, predict my future. I think I did like a, a search like, what will my future spouse be like? And it would not predict my future. It said verbatim, um, we cannot tell or we can't predict the future for you. And that was it. And it was very disappointing. But um, I will say I am curious because you've written a lot about kind of the lifestyle side of um, uh, AI written content and how um, it's kind of come into play and, and also how uh, freelance editors are trying to navigate, um, you know, submissions that are you know, written by AI. So I am curious to see how it kind of fits into some of these categories, um, whether or not, you know, AI can predict the future and maybe accurately create a horoscope is uh, to be determined. But yeah, I'm excited to to listen into that session too, for sure. Yeah, I doubt, I doubt it's there yet. <laughs> Are we going to have to put a cap on how many times people say AI on stage or like some sort of filter to make sure that like when AI comes up, it's not just like, buzzword bingo but we're actually having like substantive conversations it's so true yeah. like what is ai you know what what part of ai are we talking about here because it's so easy to just throw that word around i mean i feel like ai as a buzzword has been thrown around for years and maybe right now is the first time that we're really seeing people taking it quite seriously in terms of what it can do and what it might mean for the publishing business. Um, but yeah, we'll definitely have to keep track of people to make sure they're not just throwing it around here and there. Yeah, I think it, it seems like, you know, now that anyone can get their hands on an AI tool, that like that's what's changed things and understandably why. But you know, to your point, like things like Watson have been around for more than a decade. I want to say, and they've had like APIs and Amazon's had like its recognition API. Google's got a bunch of APIs. And so AI has been part of the business at the same time, but it also like in running through the list of all the different sessions, it's just like, oh, AI could kind of come up in all these sessions. And for good reason, like it could be really interesting conversations because even, you know, we have like a couple sessions, um, on like the experiential side and like events, like we'll have Dan Owen from Penske and Lindsay Abramo from Leaf, um, both talking about experiential. And it's just like, well, experiential, you don't really think of that as AI, but I'm sure there's some way like they could be using AI to find venues, manage costs, even, you know, maybe write up like the uh, marketing emails to get people to attend. For sure. I mean, I think it's kind of like the next iteration of what Web3 and, you know, blockchain technology was like last year. Um, I mean, maybe a, a little less uh, unstable and, um, 
I mean, we'll see. Who knows? Who knows about the stability of AI at this point? I, I certainly don't have the tech background to comment on that. But um, you're right. I think there's a lot of kind of implications. And like, you know, the past year, uh, so many publishers and uh, marketers were talking about, you know, I mean, just the metaverse alone, right? Like that's, you know, still a, a big kind of buzzword when it comes to events and, um, you know, the role of, of crypto and uh, NFTs in events businesses. It's certainly... There's absolutely a trend of integrating tech as much as possible into IRL uh, businesses and, um, you know, beyond, but it, it does draw a lot of parallels, I'm uh, realizing. Yeah. yeah, although, I mean, it is nice that we don't have any metaverse <laughs> sessions. Like, I'm pretty proud of us for uh, not having a metaverse session on the docket because it does feel like even, you know, the AI session, um, that it's more tangible that that conversation like sarah obviously that's gonna be you, you'll be making sure it's you know tangible but i think that's what's really great across all the sessions we're gonna have at dps is they're all very focused like pretty grounded topics super important topics and very timely given the state of the media business as well as the broader economy at the moment but um it's it's nice not to have the the squishy stuff as part of the agenda absolutely and so, uh, Tim, what are some of the sessions that you're particularly excited about this year? Yeah, yeah. I think I kind of mentioned, like, I love infrastructure stuff. So that opening one with Adam McLean from Dot Dash Meredith. Um, but then the um, we're following that one up with Mary Merko from The Skim. And we're going to be talking about, like, first-party data and data privacy. And uh, data privacy in particular has been a pet obsession of mine for since like 2011, I think when Senator Jay Rockefeller introduced the Do Not Track Act, and I like learned about um, how data was being collected and used online. And this year, there are five privacy laws taking effect in the United States that really kind of up the stakes for companies that are using data. At the same time, using data, collecting data is becoming even more important for publishers and publishers businesses because of the third party cookie going away at some point. Um, but even like if I'm sure in the session with Michelle, we'll get into like, oh, do you think Google's going to keep to its timeline or not? But there's also the point to be made of in Apple, Safari, Mozilla's Firefox, third party cookies pretty much already toast. So publishers are having to deal with this anyway. So um, <laughs> basically some of the nerdiest sessions uh, are the ones that I'm look, really looking forward to. Yeah, I feel like it's super timely. I actually just got an email in my inbox uh, today from Geo Media, I believe, that said that they were updating their privacy policy. And so, you know, I feel like that's something that is all happening, you know, before our eyes, regardless of Google's timeline. We're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsor, and we'll be right back. It's interesting that they waited until March to do that because I think like some companies recognize that these privacy laws are taking effect this year, like in California, and you know may be aware, oh, California, the enforcement doesn't start until July 1st, 2023. So we got you know some time, but not realizing that the enforcement actually is retroactive. Um, so like they needed to be in compliance by January 1st, and it doesn't seem like the California Attorney General's office or the agency in charge of enforcing uh, California's privacy law are really um, 
giving willing as willing to give companies the benefit of the doubt in like a bit of a grace period. It seems more like they're like, look, the original CCPA took effect January 1st, 2020. We get there as a pandemic, but it's been three years. You all need to get your stuff together. So, um, yeah, that's, that's interesting about geo that I think feel like over the holidays, everyone just got bombarded with emails from anywhere you had signed up for like a newsletter or a customer account of like, Hey, our terms of service are changing. Here's what they are now. So yeah, the session with Mary is going to be a lot of fun to listen to. And then Sarah, I think you're the one doing the session with mega from the Atlantic talking about subscriptions and like, and Kaylee, you have some sessions too, talking about subscriptions. Like I think you're talking with Kate Pillich from the daily beast. It just seems like there's so much to be talking about on the subscription front these days. Yeah, definitely. Um, I wrote a story earlier this year about how the Atlantic is really pushing to get to a million subscribers by the end of next year. And part of their strategy to do that was to roll out this new smart meter that basically, you know, it weighs a lot of things, including propensity to subscribe, of course, but also how much a potential subscriber is willing to pay for a subscription. So it also has variable pricing in it, which I think is really interesting. And at the time, The Atlantic was saying that in tests, it hadn't, you know, the smart meter hadn't impacted uh, churn or bounce rates in any kind of negative way. And in fact, it helped increase uh, The Atlantic's you know, ARPU. So I'm really curious to see how, uh, you know, that smart meter is performing now that we're a few months out from when it first rolled out and to see how much it's really helped to gain subscribers and, uh, you know, also balance between advertising revenue and subscription revenue because of that smart meter that won't pop up for everyone. Yeah, for the uh, the Daily Beast end of things, I wrote about their restructuring of their subscription business. It's it's kind of like a, a five piece uh, equation for how they're monetizing audiences because um, you know this. I think this change was happening in like the beginning of 2022, so they have about a year under their belt now. But it was a interesting approach that I've kind of seen um, replicated or uh, done in tandem with um, the Daily Beast across the industry, but really trying to find ways to um, use like the known user, the subscriber, um, in more ways to further monetize them, increase the uh, ARPU, average revenue per user. Um, But I think what the Daily Beast was doing at the time is like, trying to create a known user before they subscribe as well and, and kind of get them into that funnel. So uh, whether that's signing up for a newsletter or um, downloading their app, kind of entering a relationship with the Daily Beast at like a registration wall level and, you know, exchanging some information about themselves, which then becomes more valuable on the advertising side of things and increases their chances of converting. At least that's what the... Um, at least that's what the kind of uh, test was hoping to prove out. So a year later, I'm really eager to hear about how well those um, plans or those, you know, ideas have come to fruition. And if those known users actually do have a higher ARPU or do, uh, you know, have a higher propensity for subscribing. And then I kind of also am just at a higher level interested in how 
um, reader revenue businesses are doing in this economic downturn and if there has been any kind of pressure on um, subscribers, you know, to maybe budget out some of their, um, you know, monthly subscriptions. It's something I've certainly considered, um, you know, myself. I've had to weigh which ones I want to keep paying for. And yes, Audible did win over Peloton app, but um, I, you know, it's a curiosity that is kind of following me around this quarter to see, you know, how reader revenue really is impacted um, by the economic downturn. Like, I don't think it's been as kind of prevalent as advertising revenue, but still something to consider. And then I guess also how uh, commerce revenue ties into that too. I think that's another huge area of reader revenue that um, has the potential of being a little shaky. Yeah. I'm also curious like whether it ends up not being as shaky. Um, Like I feel like there was so much angst late last year, like really second half of last year, and then, you know, January, February into March. But that like over the past couple months, it feels like there's also been like an undergirding of, oh, wait, maybe things aren't as bad. Like they're not necessarily great, but God, maybe we thought it was going to be so bad that actually things are kind of okay. Because I mean, like, you know, we're recording this and the jobs numbers just came out this morning and, you know, jobs grew and the unemployment rate was, I think, around like 3.9%, which is relatively low. I think it was up a little bit, but still fairly low by contrast to all the headlines over the past couple of months around cost cutting and layoffs. And so I wonder, and I feel like there's even been an element of, you know, people are still buying a lot of you know products and are willing to spend money and that you know it's the issue more has been companies saw all this growth from you know in 2021 compared to 2020 or they saw the growth in 2020 accelerated by the pandemic and kind of were counting on that to stay the case like shopify you know was really uh, ben thompson i think it was this week in one of his strategy updates talked about how like shopify had really tried to, you know, invested in that growth continuing and has seen it slowed. And so now they're having to make adjustments in response to that. And it feels like a lot of the angst is may be less about the end customer, at least like when we're talking about people as opposed to necessarily advertisers or businesses and more about, you know, maybe some companies just got in over their skis a little bit. So one thing I'm like trying to be open to um, with all these conversations is like hearing back, actually, you know, things are going pretty well. Like Kaylee, you're doing the session with Leilani from Wirecutter. And I'm really interested to hear what she has to say about the state of their commerce business right now. Cause I mean, tech, is one of those areas where all these tech companies are doing layoffs and also tech is a lot of pricier products and wire cutter a lot of the products that they feature are tech products yeah and actually at the end of last year to that point as some of the conversations i was having with um commerce publishers was that it's less of a focus on um maybe like the best deal, but more about like best bang for your buck. So finding something that is going to last a long time and, you know, kind of sits in that, you know, uh, budget window of like not the most expensive, not the cheapest because you're going to have to replace that. But like, what's that kind of sweet middle ground? And I think there's been a lot of kind of um, editorial, uh, I guess, direction to 
find how users are searching for products at this point or had been in Q4 at the very least. And yeah, I'm also curious to see how that's kind of um, been been faring, you know, especially for commerce publishers that do a lot of product testing and reviewing themselves. Um, I think maybe it's the publishers who don't do so much of the product testing and kind of focus on the virality of, um, you know, affiliate links and, and products that could potentially be having more issues. But, you know, all that to say, I yeah, that is one of the questions I'm very eager to ask Leilani about um, at DPS. Yeah, back to the subscription, uh, you know, conversation. I think another thing that's really interesting is, you know, we would think that because of the economy, people would be less likely to commit to paying for something regularly, especially something that, you know, would be considered uh, you know, not essential. But at the same time, we're seeing a lot of publishers actually have success with upgrading subscribers to more expensive bundles. Um, you know, the New York Times in their last few earnings reports and calls have talked about how people are willing to upgrade and pay more. And then, you know, with the Atlantic, with their variable pricing, some of those prices are actually more expensive than you know, what a typical uh, subscription might cost to see if they can actually in, increase their subscription prices at some point and make more money uh, from subscribers. CNBC, I remember I did a story a few months ago. They're also testing to see if they can increase their subscription prices this year. So it's almost like as we're seeing inflation in other areas of the economy, it sounds like publishers are also trying to see if, uh, you know, they can match what's happening with the inflation by trying to squeeze more money out of readers, it kind of sounds like. Yeah, and marketing it like more bang for your buck. Yeah, exactly. And this is probably just a sign of it being a Friday in my brain just spinning out since we talked about AI. But like all of these also sound like things where it's like, oh, maybe you just throw AI at it. Like Kaylee, when you're talking about the Daily Beast with the like five different, um, you know, p- subscription related, you know, offerings or options or pathways to subscribership. It's just like, yeah, that's a lot of like pattern matching. And I mean, it's throw an algorithm at that. It's probably way easier or um, you know, chat GPT prompts of what's the best way to ask a person, you know, to pay for a subscription or a product. Um, even like going back to the privacy side of things, um, one topic that's been a big topic in some of the working groups that we've had at DPS is in the past on the data side of things has been around consent and like how to ask for people's consent, you know, what's the language to use. That feels like another one you could kind of like throw that at ChatGPT. Um, although ChatGPT, OpenAI may be smart enough to be like, look, we're not going to be handing out legal advice here. Um, but are there any like topics in, you know, that we're going to have the town hall, or maybe I think we might be having two town halls? Uh, I'm not sure the status of working groups, but like some of the best parts of DPS to me are the session, the conversations we can also have off stage, um, and behind closed doors with, you know, publishers in these, you know, anonymous, um, settings like the town hall. And so I'm really excited for those conversations. I don't know if there's anything like either of you are really, you know, looking to, um, hear more about from the execs there. I always find that in the town halls and especially the working groups, those conversations get so granular with 
like getting down to like literally how to ask someone for their consent on, uh, you know, data collection or, um, you know, how to uh, literally just kind of like build a, a newsletter to like be personalized or not so personalized and kind of, you know, getting into the nitty gritty. And I think there's a lot of coverage that we do that's looking at kind of those macro trends or those, uh, you know, higher level kind of um, uh, strategies that publishers are executing. But there's also value in kind of looking at how these teams are putting these strategies into action or how they're kind of, you know, pivoting when uh, things don't work out and, you know, who on their teams are involved in these projects and what pushback they're getting to a degree. And I find that in those rooms, the publishers really work closely together to solve those like little inefficiencies. And those are always super interesting to follow. Um, so I think to that end, I'm sure chat GBT and AI is going to be a big part of that. Um, I'm sure that, uh, you know, we'll be talking about things like, uh, you know, I guess the podcast bubble and, and how, uh, you know, growth is kind of being looked at in that way in terms of just like number of shows and things of that nature. But, um, I always really appreciate how open publishers end up being with some of those, I guess, more, again, more granular, uh, aspects of their jobs. Yeah. I'm curious about, uh, and maybe this is the opposite of what you're saying in terms of, you know, how granular the questions can be. But I think because a lot of those conversations, especially in those smaller groups happen off the record, I'm curious to get executives opinions on what the state of layoffs are at this point, because I think, you know, we saw so many layoffs happen at the end of last year and the beginning of this year with everyone blaming the economy on needing to cut back and with, you know, sort of the, you know, optimistic language from a lot of these executives about how they think that things are going to continue to improve from this point onwards. And I'm wondering, you know, when executives are kind of off the record, if that's really how they think this year is going to go, like, are we really going to see improvements happening as we approach the summer and onwards throughout this year? Or are we going to continue to see more layoffs happen? And I know those decisions happen at kind of like a higher level, but I'm curious to get their thoughts on, you know, sort of the industry at large and how there's so many people that um, are saying that things are are just, you know, looking up from here and if that's really the case or if we're going to see some more sort of course correction taking place this year. Yeah, I mean, the timing of DPS is so great because right at tail end of Q1, coming off earnings season, so we have a sense on like what the Q4 numbers were like and what the Q1 forecasts were for the different companies. And now we head into Q2. And I mean, there was um, a TV network executive that I was talking to earlier this week, and right now is the time where in the traditional TV market for upfront deals, advertisers have a deadline on when they can like cancel parts of their you know commitments ahead of a quarter and it's usually 30 to 45 days out so like right in the throes of it and she was saying like it's been pretty in line with you know how it usually is for q2 cuts which is probably encouraging um, for a lot of folks obviously this is just one tv network and so may not be wholly representative but i'm curious um to your point sarah what 
all these publishers are going to have to say about their expectations for Q2. Because I remember, I think it was one of the town halls or working groups uh, at DPS in Key Biscayne in September. Someone walked in, publishing executive, and just like, Q3 has been a shit show. It's like, okay, good to know. Um, and so we'll have to see what they're saying about you know, Q2 or not. Um, but yes, yeah, so, so obviously we will have the live podcast episode with Michelle Devine from BuzzFeed coming up, you know, on this podcast feed the week of the week after DPS. So the first week in April and then Kaylee uh, for your media briefing, there'll be the overheard that week of, you know, some selections of what people have to say during the town halls and the working groups. And I'm sure there's going to be, and we'll also have, you know, some, coverage of the various sessions and other topics that come up at DPS during the week and in the weeks that follow. So I think, you know, we're all really looking forward to this event can be coming at a better time. I am very excited to get into Vail again and to start reporting on, uh, you know, a quarter's worth of stories. It's going to be great. Yeah, I can't wait to be there. And thank you for listening to the Digiday Podcast. Please don't forget to share this episode with someone who you think would enjoy it. You can even rate us on Apple Podcasts if you like. We'll be back next week with another episode.